I've had the privilege of getting to know um, Buddy even more recently over the phone. We Sometimes we're on the road sometimes, and Ben as well. We'll call each other and talk and get to know these guys, and these are guys that, that I haven't known as long as many of the, the people that have been at Pure Grace for, you know, 10 years or whatever it is. But just in a short amount of time, we've, we've gotten, we've gotten, I've gotten to know Buddy specifically a lot better, um, and I love and trust him, and I appreciate the word that he's going to bring today. So, Buddy, come on up. So you, you, love, you, you totally trust me. You love me, right? I figured things would change once I got up here. I knew it would. Well, let me just start off by saying that, uh, first off, I sound really loud. I'm not. Okay, I can change that. Don't worry. But uh, let me start off by saying that uh, I'm super excited about the fact that uh, two churches have gotten together as smooth. You don't hear about that a lot. You, uh, I really shouldn't say two churches because there's really only one church, right? And uh, so two groups that are, you can figure that math out, but uh, I'm just glad that we're able to get together. And uh, the Southeast, you know, you hear a lot about churches falling apart, churches breaking up, uh, you know, and uh, I think it was a success and has been a success so far. We'll see how successful it's been after I get through speaking today. And then, uh, so there goes that whole love issue too, you know, Uh, I'm really going to push that one. All right. I'm just going to see how much you really do love me by the time it's over. Do you want me to tell them that joke you told me the other day? Okay, I didn't think so. But, <laughs> but uh, I am super excited uh, about the chance to be here. Um, and I've been looking forward to speaking. And uh, that's not something that I've looked forward to in a while. And I'll explain a little bit about that later. Um, but I was, as I was praying and I was getting ready and thinking about everything, I kind of got upset because I had to follow Ben. And Ben stole my sermon title, <laughs> The Latin Kings to the Pulpit. And I was like, well, what a bum. And uh, so I have a better one. I'm one up you. I'm going to preach today on from MS 13 to the pulpit. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Subtitled from Irvington to today. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, as, and on a serious note, as I was uh, thinking about things and well, first off, let me say this. Now, my real name is not Buddy. I feel like whenever I speak at a new place, I need to build trust with people. All right. Uh, my real name is not Buddy. Um, I know when you hear the name Buddy, when I work with kids, people, the kids used to tell me, oh, I used to have a dog named Buddy. All right. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've had a dog named Buddy. All of you can leave. So, uh, <laughs> okay, see, that's good. That's good. But it's not his real name. See, exactly. <laughs> Some people have said, oh, we used to call my grandpa buddy. I really like that one. That one makes me feel real good, especially with all the gray I got going on up here since I was like 16. So uh, that's all right. Or people have said, I used to have a really weird uncle named Buddy. Now, I'm okay with that one for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, my real name, now I'm going to build trust with you by telling you my real name. Is this going on the internet, the interweb, the webernet? I'm going to need you to stop recording right now. Uh, but my real name, yeah, I'm going to have to like take a breath because it's like this long. My real name is Howard Hurston McNorton Jr. That's right, Jr. There are two people in this world with that exact name. Stop recording me, Andrew. And uh, <laughs> so that's my real name. Uh, please, you can call me anything but Howie, all right? If, just don't, all right? Uh, so, but I prefer, buddy. You can call me Howard if you'd like. You can call me Hurston, and I will ignore you, uh, but uh, other than that. So as I was getting into this, and I was like, how do I want to approach this? I've preached in a myriad of different places, venues, things of that nature, and I'll talk about that briefly in a minute. But I have never, and I thought about this, I have never sat down for an extended period of time uh, and given my testimony. I've never done it. Um, and Justin, you know, said it would be a good way to, you know, get everybody on the same page, at least you know. Uh, where I'm coming from, what planet I lived on for I landed here. But uh, I've never sat down and like gave it, you know, just kind of line by line thing. So hopefully it's not going to bore you to death because like I said, I mean, I'm not part of an Italian mafia family. I don't have any, I've never shot anybody yet. Uh, I mean, there's nothing of that that's like super, super exciting in the background. Like I will embellish it as much as I can uh, and bump up against that. No, I won't do that. Some of it I don't have to embellish, unfortunately. 
But as I was thinking about what, where am I going to start? Where am I going to like put my foot out of this boat to get a, a message about my testimony going? Uh, what is it that's something that's defined my life before I got saved to an extent, and even the struggles that I had afterwards? Uh, because I don't know if you realize or not, this is a secret, so lean in close. You still struggle a little bit after you get saved. All right? I know you guys don't know that, but it, it happens. And I want to read a couple of verses uh, because, you know, if anything else, at least you get to hear a couple of verses if the rest of it gets butchered. So if you want to turn to Colossians real quick, I'm going to read a few verses. I should have marked it so I could have went there quicker and you would have thought, man, he knows where stuff's at. Now, if you're like me, you navigate your Bible by finding the book of the Bible next to the torn page right next to the red squiggly mark that you made. I understand. That's, how, that's why you highlight in your Bible so you can find stuff. That's what it's there for. So Colossians chapter number 1, I'm going to read about four verses, I think. Right now it would be about four. And it's in verse number 9. Now, this is a, a, a prayer or that Paul is like, talking about with the Corinthian or the Colossians. And he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And Paul's real quick. I'm reading the New King James if that helps you. All right. So, Verse number 10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, here's the verse I want to hone in on. He says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. It's in the New King James. If you're reading the Old King James, it may say meat, not like steak meat, but M E E T. All right. Uh, it may say something in one of your translations, something like worthy. It may say that, because that's really what the word means. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. Of the saints in light. And this idea of being qualified and being worthy is something that kind of has hung over my head for a really long time, even before I was saved. And I would venture to say if we stopped and we all thought about it long enough, we'd say it was kind of true for us as well. It plays out in a number of different scenarios, you know. Like for me, for example, I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose at games. I don't play a lot of games, but when I do, I prefer to win. If you play Monopoly with me, I'm going to cheat. So you just need to understand this. And uh, you'll have to forgive me because you're a Christian. Okay? And you can't hold it over my head. You know, so I'm going to. Just understand that. The best thing to do is just not ask me to play Monopoly, all right? Uh, you remember when the Wii came out, that little video game? My kids had the Wii tennis game. Only tennis I'm competent enough to play. But I didn't like losing, so Olivia, she's not here today, she's at work. If Olivia began to beat me, I would just push her down on the couch and just spike the tennis ball to win, you know? Why? Because I like winning. Plus, she needs to know what it's like to lose, all right? <laughs> it was part of, a, part of a parenting strategy that I'm writing in my upcoming book, How to Make Your Kids Understand How to Lose, all right? Now, they don't need that. Life will teach that to them, right? But this idea of being qualified, this idea of being worthy, this idea of having personal worth, this idea of living in light of who Christ is in you and who he says you are is something that I struggled with unknowingly before I was a believer and definitely thought that I had things figured out after I became a believer, but I really didn't. So it's kind of like in the first Rocky movie. And uh, if you're a Rocky fan, Dan... I don't know if the rest of you like Rocky. You're red-blooded Americans. You better. And uh, in the first Rocky movie, they were, and I'm not going to quote this perfect, all right, but in the first Rocky movie, one of the, someone's talking to Rocky Balboa, and they ask him, why do you do all this training? Why do you do everything that you do? And Rocky kind of gives this in his, I'm not even going to attempt the accent, all right? So relax, all right? I'm not going to do that. But he asked him, he said, why do you try all this stuff? In effect, Rocky says this. He says, I know if I can make it to the finish line, then I'll prove to myself I'm not a bum. And more than likely, there's a lot of us that have been doing our best to prove something to ourselves that we're not bums. We try hard. Sometimes we do a lot of really stupid stuff, don't we? I mean, stuff that if other people in this room knew what you did to try to prove to yourself you weren't a bum you'd go crawl under a rock somewhere and die, right? Some of the stuff we do is to cover the pain of feeling like we're not enough, you know? You know why people, you know why people get addicted to things? 
because they're trying to cover up the fact that they know that they're not enough in some way or they feel like they aren't enough in some way. That's something that has kind of haunted me, wanting to be enough, trying to make myself qualified pretty much the majority of my adult life. Uh, I'm happy to say that it's not now. It has been. That doesn't mean the enemy doesn't shoot you in the head with things, you know. Uh, A lot of the times when the enemy comes to us and we're, we're giving him the ammunition in some way. We're saying things about ourselves that aren't true or we're behaving in a way that's contrary to what God would want and we're just handing the enemy a clip of bullets and he's just shooting us right in our minds that you're not enough, you're not qualified, you're not worthy, you you aren't any of these things. Paul in Colossians says that uh, in a couple of these verses down, we don't have to look at it this morning, but I think it's down in chapter 2 in verses number 8, yes, also over in verse number uh, 18, He makes this statement. He says, don't let anyone cheat you. Basically, he's saying, don't let anybody rip you off spiritually. Don't let anybody else tell you what you need to do that's going to make you worthy of something that Christ has already done for you to make you worthy. That's what he's saying. The world and religion and the wicked one all seek to cheat you and I. That's what they want. They wanted to rip you off. You know what I mean? I can remember. Ben, Ben, here's a story. All right, he'll remember this one. Ben and I uh, went to a concert one time in New Orleans when we were about 16. Um, you don't want you let your kids do that, okay? Uh, but we went down there. It was nothing really bad. We just went to the concert and came back, um, and we were in a McDonald's. Do you remember this? And there was the dude sitting there, and uh, he was switching the cards around. Now, I'm 16 years old. He's switching the cards around. He's like, hey, man, you want to play for 20? I was like, I can smoke this old guy. I'm about to get $20 worth of gas money. And uh, he went over there and he flipped it up. He's like, just show me the jack. Find the jack. So he's flipping around, flipping around. He pulled, of course, I won two or three times. The fourth time, I lost. And he took my 20 bucks. And then you know what he wanted to do? He wanted, yes, he wanted to double or nothing. I, fortunately, at that point, I realized I just need to get out of this thing. But that's what the world, the enemy, and the, the, uh, the devil and religion, that's what they're like. They want to make you feel like you're winning for a minute, and then they turn around and they cheat you. They rob you. They take something from you that God has already given you. Now, it's more than 20 bucks, just barely, right? But it's way more than $20. So let me get back on track here. I am from, originally, the great town of St. Elmo, Alabama. That's right. That's right. One convenience store, one gas station, 30 cows, who knows how many rednecks, all right? I am now. If you're from St. Elmo, I'm sorry. That's not my fault. But uh, <laughs> I grew up on a farm out in St. Elmo, way out and like on the end of a dirt road type of. This is beginning to sound like a country song. But I grew up on a farm out in the back woods of St. Elmo. I grew up going to church, actually. Surprisingly enough, there's only one church in St. Elmo. And that's the one I went to. <laughs> And I can remember growing up, going to church. I don't remember a whole lot about it, to be honest with you. I remember we did that really cool thing for Easter where you take, like, string and glue and wrap it around a balloon and then you pop it, you know. It makes an egg. I remember doing that. I mean, it changed my life. I'm talking about it today, even. I can remember uh, getting baptized there. I have no clue why I got baptized. I have no clue why I got baptized. I, I don't know. They just were like, you need to get baptized. I said, all right, let's do this thing. I can remember making a profession of faith, you know, quote-unquote, whatever that means, uh, because they had played a movie about the end times. At the, and now, this was, like, this was way back in the mid-'80s, and uh, about, it was about 85, 86, 87, and they played this movie. All I remember from the movie is people getting their heads chopped off and them, like, burning bodies in the street. And I was like, yo, I don't want that happening to me. I'll do whatever needs to be done, you know. Um, there used to be this guy that would come and preach at the church, and he was all about end times. Some of you folks were in church long enough to remember, like, back in the, in the 80s there, everything was like the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. Dan actually has that book. And uh, in 1989, that was a cheap book is all i got to say. And so, you know, I remember it was all this prophecy stuff. I was scared to death. I, was, I remember when the Gulf War happened, and just to date some of you folks, I was like 13 when the Gulf War was going down, all right? And I had just enough Bible knowledge about the book of Revelation to make me dangerous, you know what I mean? And all I remember is something, 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 moon turns to blood red, we're all dead. Yeah, that's all I remember. So 
I, this is no lie. I remember every night of my life I would go look out of my bedroom window to see if the moon was blood red because I thought to myself, whew, made it one more day without the whole death thing breaking out, you know. <laughs> so that's my, that was my spiritual background, all right. Um, you know, after a while my parents and uh, they, they ended up divorcing and we moved from St. Elmo uh, to the other part of town. And when I say the other part of town, it was like over on off of Zalia and Highway 90. Now, if you live in St. Elmo, that might as well be you know, downtown New York City. I mean, we drove to Theodore, and we called it going to town, all right? If that just tells you how bad it was. And uh, so I remember living there in this apartment complex. Everything was new. By the way, this has nothing to do with it, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. You know the very first TV show I ever watched on cable was? A black and white rerun of My Three Sons. I mean, that is like, to me, I was like, wow, TV's awesome. I wouldn't have any of that stuff. On the farm, you know what I mean? So that was my first uh, uh, just run in with cable. I had no clue what it was like to live in like a more urbanized area. I mean, all this stuff was just brand new to me. Uh, We very quickly stopped going to church after that. I never went back to church. Um, I guess I was probably, what, I don't know, what, 18 maybe? I don't know. I'm I'm looking at Ben like he knows. He's like, yeah, I got all this written down. But uh, I was like 18 or so, and I'll get to that here in just a minute. So through my teenage years... I very much considered myself an agnostic, which interestingly enough is a compound Greek word that means ah, which means nothing, and gnostic, which means knowledge, which you're basically saying you're just a know-nothing. You just don't know. (laughs) I don't know why people go around and brag about the fact that I'm agnostic. I'm like, okay, well, it just means you don't know what you're talking about. That's all that it means. And so I claimed that for a while while I was a teenager. You know, I was, Ben, would you say I was rebellious? No, I was the pitcher, a model citizen, you know, but uh, (laughs) I'm the one talking here. But uh, during my teenage years, I was a little rebellious. I I didn't do anything like super bad or anything like that. I was not interested. Let me put it this way. I was as interested in God as a lost person could be. Now, this is something that I learned from Scripture a while back. We talk about people being in spiritual darkness And we kind of get the idea that they're like completely uninterested in spiritual things, and that's not true. Death is not a position. It is a state of mind, the way the Scripture talks about it. I was living in death. I was operating in darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that I wasn't interested. It just meant that the thing, quote-unquote, that connected me to God was not there. It was broken. So as a result, I would come up with all kinds of crazy ideas in my head, You know what I mean? All kinds of stuff interested me, but it never guided me to the gospel. Well, I went through high school. I'm not going to tell any of those high school stories. We'll just let those go. I told Justin a couple the other day. And by the way, no, I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them. They were interesting. Let me just say that. I told Justin, I said, I don't think any two people could have had any more of a different high school experience than you and I. I mean, it was just like on the other end of the spectrum. But nonetheless... (laughs) Uh, I lived, I grew up out in Irvington all through high school. I mean, two days after I graduated, I moved out of the house and I moved down into Midtown Mobile with my dad. Because at that time, I was in a completely different culture in my mind. I was into skateboarding and punk rock music and things like that. And Irvington just was not, that just wasn't the scene in Irvington. You know what I mean? The scene in Irvington was I could hear the Mobile International Speedway in my backyard. That was the scene in Irvington. The scene in Irvington was Sam Superburger on Friday night had like 10 cars in it rather than five. All right? That was the scene. And I was like, I'm out of here. Moved to Midtown with my dad, uh, lived there for a number of years. But during that time, Ben and I kind of parted ways a little bit because I lived on the other side of town. He was doing whatever it is. I think he had a job. You were working all the time. Uh, I did not have a job because, hey, I was killing it in life. And uh, so I remember as things progressed, I came over to Ben's house one night because the band that I was in had just made a mixtape. Now, when you're 18 years old and your band makes a tape, it's the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life, all right? It probably sounded like machinery breaking down and people dying. That's probably what it sounded like. I was super proud of it, of course. Recorded it on an analog four track. That was a good one. Oh, that's right. You should have seen the microphones. And uh, so it was very, I think one of them is actually a pair of headphones that I put on the bass drum to record. I know you're proud. I'll teach you my techniques later, guys. And so I recorded that, and I showed up to Ben's house. Now, Ben had, at that point, I showed up with the mixtape because I wanted him to hear it, and Ben was acting weird. All right? You remember this, I know. He was acting really weird, like, I mean, like, just anxious. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? 
And so I remember, sitting, I remember sitting in your bedroom floor playing that tape. I had my feet kicked up on your bed or something like that. And you were sitting there like fidgety and stuff. Now, see, Ben, as you would know from a couple of weeks ago, he had, you know, had gotten saved earlier on. And he had to start attending church and uh, begin to grow and progress spiritually and whatnot. And on his agenda that night was to witness to me. All right? <laughs> we had two very different agendas. And uh, maybe that's why he was so nervous. So anyway, so we're listening to the tape. I remember turning it off saying, what do you think? It's like I didn't even say words to him. He was like, or something. Well, then he got out a Bible. I was like, whoa, (laughs) what's going on here, you know? And uh, he said a lot of stuff, to be honest with you. I don't remember hardly any of it. Uh, I don't remember what you said. I do remember this, though. From that moment, that was, I didn't get saved until a few months later, probably. But he read, what was it, Isaiah 63, 6? You have that memorized, Justin, right? What is it? What is it? What was it again? I can't hear you. <laughs> Pastors have the whole Bible memorized, all right? But uh, amen. <laughs> it was the verse, and I don't even know it for sure, okay? But it was the one that says, we are all like sheep have gone astray. No, no, it wasn't that one. It says, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And then he began to give me this terrible illustration about what a filthy rag was. It was horrible. And I, <laughs> I will not repeat it. And, uh, but I thought to myself, and I remember through us, through us talking, I remember responding to that verse saying, does God really think that we're that bad? Well, that stuck with me for just that one little snippet of a verse. That's all I remembered. That stuck with me for months. A couple of months later, I had been, it was just on my mind. Then things that I had heard from my childhood started coming back to play. You see, because that's what the Word of God does. And what I think is in the book of Isaiah, he says, My word shall not return unto me, what? Void. It did not return void for me. And uh, I lived out on uh, right where Florida Street hit Spring Hill. I lived in a neighborhood right across the street from there. And there's a park down at the end of my neighborhood. And that, it was like, it was that moment in life where I just felt like everything was wrong. With me, you know what I'm saying? But it seemed like everything was going right. Well, I went down to that park and just sat there for a while, and I knew I needed to be bored again. To be honest with you, I didn't know all the ins and outs of why and when and where, all that. I didn't know it. I was ignorant, and that's the only time you'll ever hear me say that in public. And uh, I was ignorant about a lot of it, but I knew I needed to be saved. I knew that. And I remember saying out loud, Jesus, will you please save me? It was the, one of the most calming and odd experiences of my life. Nothing happened. Lightning didn't flash across the sky. You know what I mean? You know, I didn't begin to weep buckets of tears. It was just as simple and matter of fact as that. I knew what needed to happen. Went back in the house and called Ben. I said, guess what? I got saved. So say I get saved. What's the first thing you do after you get saved, class? Close. You get baptized at church, all right? All right, you get baptized. You got to get wet. The wetter you get, if you get them wet quick, they'll grow spiritually faster, all right? That's just the way that it works. So went to church. I got baptized. Was kind of in and out of church a little bit. Every time I'd miss church, Ben would call me every time. He's like, hey, man, I miss you today. I'm like, yeah, I slept at 1 o'clock, all right? That's what I was doing. I mean, I prayed until 1 o'clock. So, exactly, exactly. And uh, so things went... Immediately, right out of the gate, a spiritual attack just, boom, started. Right out of the gate. Uh, the reason being because at the time uh, I was uh, dating a girl, whatever dating means anymore. Good night. So much. Anyways, I was dating this young lady, and she was Mormon. Now, religion, religion never made a bit of difference in my life until that moment I got saved. And then suddenly, everybody and their mom wanted to talk about it. I came this close to converting to Mormonism. It was close. I met with Mormon missionaries. I did the whole nine yards, the whole pray for your burning heart to see if it's true. And I'm not mocking anybody. I'm just saying that's what happened, all right? I mean, I was this close. I read the whole Book of Mormon. The whole Book of Mormon. (laughs) All right? And uh, right there at the end, um, as a result of a Sunday school teacher I spoke with, and me just reading the New Testament, the Lord spared that stopped that. Uh, interestingly enough, I'd land in Utah 15 years later with Mormons. <laughs> so after that, I began, you know, to be a little bit more serious, serious about going to church. You know, I was a big Christian then, Justin, big one, huge. I was like 225, you know, I was a big Christian. And uh, so I was going to church, and I immediately began to adapt 
the culture of the church that I was attending. Every church has a culture. Every one of them. Pure Grace has one. All right? Every one of them have a philosophy behind their theology. When the philosophy gets in front of the theology, that's when we have problems. All right? And so I was attending a church, and let me just say this. I'm going to try not to say names, but understand I am not against people that are involved in whatever kind of church name they want to call it. I don't care what the name of it is. I am against philosophies and teachings that bind people up. That's kind of what the old, the old uh, Puritan preacher said. He said, I'm not shooting at you, brother, but you are standing between me and the target. So <laughs> if, I, if I say certain things, it's not that I'm shooting at anybody. It's just that they just happen to walk right in front of the bullet. It's not my problem at that point. We'll hug and talk about it later, all right? But uh, I got involved in the church, church culture that, let me just say this, is, was well-meaning, all right? It was very, the intentions behind it, no one was sitting around like Dr. Evil paint, petting that weird little cat saying, hmm, how may I destroy this man's life? You know, that's not what it was. I said it'll cost you $1 billion. But anyways, <laughs> nobody was sitting around doing that. And so I immersed myself in this culture. And I can pinpoint for you the moment things begin to change for me in a bad way as far as religiously. I had, I think I told you this story, but uh, I had, we had a church work day. Everybody loves church work days, by the way. We should have more often. You know, they're great. And uh, I, I was excited about it. I was like, I get to do something at church, you know. So I went up to church. I was going to cut the grass. Of course, it had not been cut in like six millenniums. So it was like 16 feet tall. Uh, and somebody had brought an 18-inch push mower to cut it with, you know. So they put me on that because I'm the new, I'm the baby Christian. Only baby Christians can cut the grass, right? So I go to cut the grass. And I remember I was wearing a pair of cut-off camouflage shorts, uh, New York Knicks basketball jersey, which I don't even know why I wore that because I didn't even like the Knicks. And uh, then I had on a Yankees hat, had it on backwards, slightly to the left, all right? <laughs> and so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That makes a big difference. It wasn't to the right. I wasn't a conservative yet. It was to the left. And so I was out there cutting the grass, and the pastor approaches me. And I cut the bog the lawnmower off in the grass. And uh, he goes, I'm glad you're here. He goes, but I have something I need to to tell you. And I said, all right, well, what is it? He goes, when we work up at the church, and he looked me up and down on purpose and said, we don't dress like that. Now, I wasn't offended when it happened. I, like I said, I didn't know. I was like, oh, man, my B. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. Uh, so what I did was I went clothes shopping. Remember, Ben, me and you, I, we went to the clothes shop. And you, you know where, this is where you buy your church clothes in the mid-'90s, Burlington Coat Factory, all right? That's where I went. I just went into Burlington Coat Factory, so I was making it rain. Man, I was just like, give me that ugly shirt. Give me those stupid pants with the pleats in the front. Give me those things, all right? <laughs> Has some Z Cavaricis in here. But anyways, so I went in there and I got me some church clothes. I'm sorry, i got to calm down. So I went and uh, got me some church clothes. So that way I could get my robes of righteousness in order so I could go to church. Now, understand that during this time frame, I was reading the Bible for the first time. I'd never read it before that I could recall. Um, I would pull up in the church parking lot. Of course, I was one of those guys that had every sticker of every band that ever existed plastered across the, all over his car. You know what I mean? That was me. So I'd pull up in the parking lot. The radio's on like 90, you know. It's blaring some kind of punk rock music. I'd come in sideways into the church parking lot, go inside and sing uh, face-to-face with my dear Lord Savior and loved it. I enjoyed it. I was having a great time. I just didn't realize how jacked up I was And how much I needed to do more for Jesus until I got pushed into a corner at church and said, the way you dress is not good enough, what you're doing is not good enough. Now that you're saved and baptized, we have church on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, people. Who who thought of that? Wednesday's not not so bad. But Sunday night church? Jesus never intended us to go to church on Sunday night. <laughs> if you are conscious, yes, we're going to take up a special offering after that. Where's the baskets at? <laughs> if, you're, 
If you've been to Sunday night church, me and you both know what you're doing. I pastored a church for seven, six years, six or seven years. Sunday night church was like, <laughs> amen. <laughs> but we suffered through it for Jesus' sake. You know, That's right. It was the best 45-minute nap of your week, <laughs> Sunday night church. So I started, going to, I started going to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had visitation on Thursday night. Boom, I was there. Sunday, Saturday morning, we visited kids on a bus route. And me and Ben have that same background on the bus route. Let me tell you something. You can get any kid on a bus anywhere if you can juggle and you've got bubble gum. All right? <laughs> Especially way out there on Lot Road, way on out there. You can get them on there. Man, we'd go to the neighborhoods. Remember that? Juggling and passing out gum, man. It was an absolute train wreck. Kids hanging out the windows. Did Goldfish Sunday, remember that? I swallowed a goldfish on Goldfish Sunday. All the kids thought I ate it, so they were on the bus chewing it up. It was great. <laughs> we gave them baby chickens. You remember the baby chicken one? They were throwing them out the windows of the bus. That's no lie. And when Jesus said, I will build my church, he had baby peeps and swallowing goldfish in mind. And so we built the church of the living God. With small animal sacrifice. <laughs> and it was fun. Not the part throwing them out the window or anything. But it was fun. It was interesting. And all that was exciting. But there's always, there's always the great Oz behind the curtain. And the strings are being pulled and the smoke and the mirrors are there. And there is a very, it looks good. And it seems good. But it's an undercurrent that pushes you to be somebody that you're not. You see, I've been told we don't do that. We don't look this way. We don't go those places. We don't hang around those people. And I'll tell you, my self-righteous meter, like, you know, everybody's got meters in their life about certain things. From like 1 to 10. 10, you're pegged out. I mean, you're like redlining at 10. My self-righteous meter is at like 975 I hate it when I see me doing it more than anything else, right? But uh, please, never mind. Facebook, I need to stay off Facebook is all I got to say. I just got to stay off Facebook, man. I'm like, I need Adderall sometimes so I get on Facebook. But there's this undercurrent that you always had to do something else to not just to be a better, not to become a more spiritually minded person, but become a better person. You see, there's two different... You, see, growing spiritually is fine. You ought to grow spiritually. You should be drawing near to God, and He's drawing near to you, and you're learning more about who He is, and you're, He's revealing to you who He is. So you change as a result from glory to glory, Paul put it that way. You know, we behold ourselves, you know, and we see these things about who Christ is. We ought to grow, but we're not growing into a different kind of person. So that's a value judgment that we put on other people. That's why in a legalistic church, it's not that a person sins. It's not that a, even a Christian. See, that the world, in legalistic churches, they're even very moderate towards the world. They understand that, but they don't understand how you as a believer could possibly have some sort of a struggle or make some kind of disobedient choice. And God forbid if you do, because now you are and you fill in the blank. And we, I can remember my first sermons I ever preached. They let me preach way too soon. Ben, it was, a, it was a disaster. I mean, we were saved three weeks later. We're preaching sermons. You don't even want to know that train wreck. And I can remember one time I'd found this verse. I think it says, adulterers and whoremongers God would judge. Can you imagine a whole sermon based around that one? I called all the teenagers in the church whoremongers that night. You know, they, well, of course, there was days before cell phones, so they were probably asleep, not necessarily not paying attention, right? There's another value judgment for you. And uh, so I can just remember in my mind the way that you treat people is the same way that I was treated by my leadership and the same way that I felt like God treated me, and that was based on what I was or wasn't doing. Twenty years ago, I couldn't have written that down on a piece of paper. I would have had no clue. But it takes something. It takes, it takes a lot of grace and a lot of life experience. Now, I, I personally call myself a pessimist. I know I'm not supposed to. And, uh, man, that clock is not working. It's not. Holy smokes. Anyways, you sabotage me on that one. Yeah, I know. I have to forgive you because I'm in front of people. But uh, <laughs> 
So as a, and don't say the go on thing. I'm like with Ben, like, yeah, you really don't want me going on. Uh, you've got to beat the Presbyterians to Golden Corral, I know. But uh, so, free focus. Feel like Justin now, butterfly. <laughs> so, anyways, make a long story short. From there, I'm gonna have to kick this in high gear. So, hang on. All right. So, from there, I, uh, you know, began to get really serious about as a big Christian, serving the Lord, doing all that good stuff. Uh, I was called to preach. I have no clue what that means anymore because God doesn't call people to preach. He gifts people for different things. It's a completely different sermon. Maybe I'll talk about it in a couple weeks. But anyways, so I went off to Bible college because you can't preach unless you go to Bible college. That's just the rule. It's unwritten. So I go to Bible college. The Bible college I went to, I learned a lot from. I could have went to worse places. I could have went to wherever Ben and Dan went, all right? Uh, but I didn't. I, I went to, I had some good teachers that cared about me. I learned a lot from them. But there was one undercurrent that attached to me that I was already dealing with. At Bible college, it was all about being holy. Oh, my stars. You don't even, there was one sermon, and this is a, I love this man to death. He would preach a sermon on the holiness of God. And boy, he killed it. I mean, if you want to know how holy God is, you need to listen to this sermon this guy preached. But the application of the end is comparing how holy God is to what my behavior is like. And let me tell you something. That'll crush you mentally and spiritually in a heartbeat. Because God is beyond a level of holy that we can even begin to imagine. I'm not in my behavior all the time. I am in my spirit because of Christ. But see, I didn't know that at the time. Bible college was a struggle for me because I was always trying more. I was doing my best, man. I went to a fundamentalist Bible college, so you had to wear a suit every day of your life because it's what Jesus wore. And, uh, I mean, ties up. I mean, you, I mean, look, if you wear 16, you don't buy 16 and a half. You buy 16. That thing's got to be snugged right up on that net, neck. And uh, that old military knot, that ain't going to cut it. You need to tie a single or double Windsor. All right, I'll be having classes for that after church. And, uh, man, double-breasted suit, you know what I'm talking about. The same one your grandpa wore. That's the one I wore, right? And shined up shoes, because if your shoes weren't shiny, people wouldn't listen to the gospel. Literally stuff that I was taught. You know what I mean? So I went and I tried my hardest. I did. Every day that I was, I was trying and trying, and I was, the more I'd try, the harder I'd fail. And it only got worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, I hated it. I came this close to getting kicked out of Bible college, and when I was trying to be good... Just imagine if I would have stopped trying. Good night. They'd have to burn the place down and start over. <laughs> so after I graduated Bible college, I moved back to Mobile. And I worked on staff at a church here in Mobile as a youth pastor, the associate pastor, whatever that means, uh, and a Christian school teacher. Yes, I educated children. Pray for them. <laughs> and uh, along with this assumption that I wasn't qualified came something dangerous at that point in my life that just amplified everything, and it was the idea of authority. Religion's all about authority. They want to be able to tell you every move to make, how to make it, what, how to brush your hair when you do it, even down to the Bible version that you have, and do not question the authority. You see, biblical authority is not about telling what people what to do. It's about being an example and leading from out in front, top down. Be, like Jesus did. He bent down and he washed people's feet. A legalist is not going to wash your feet. He's going to bend down and he's going to... Remember, you go to church, you get your toes stepped on, right? Man, it was like... There was even like this physical abuse element with it. Man, I went to church, pastor, stomped all over my toes. Well, okay. That sounds violent. But... Uh, I, there was this idea that got put on me. You submit to all authority, and that's what I did. I was good at being an associate pastor because I learned how to read what the guy wanted before he even wanted it. Not because I wanted to do a good job, but because I didn't want to fail. From there, I traveled. I worked there for like two and a half years. Left, worked out of that church as an evangelist, traveled for roughly about two years. It was a great time in my life. Worked out in churches out in the uh, rural Midwest and the Intermountain West, Utah, Idaho, Montana, everywhere from about Illinois over to Nevada. Didn't go past there too much because there's nothing there. And uh, so worked in churches there for a long time. Had a great time. The Lord really began to show me what it was like at that time to have real freedom because I realized that, hey, I'm, I'm not wanting to go out and, like, you know, shoot everybody in the world. This is the things I like to do. 
you know. What he was showing me was is what my heart was really like, though I didn't get it at the time, you know. So after traveling for a few years, we, at the time, I had to come off the travel, off the, the gospel road, man. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had gotten a job in Wyoming laying pipeline. Thank God I didn't take that job. Holy smokes. I've watched too many Discovery Channel shows to see what those guys do. I'm like, I definitely would have quit day two. And so I ended up landed in Utah, central Utah, right in the middle. Uh, took a small fundamentalist church there, probably about... There was like 25 people. When they voted us in, I think more kids voted yes than adults did. I, don't, I was looking through the yeses and like the whys were backwards. I was like, either this is children or we've got some major education problems here. <laughs> you know. So moved to Utah. That was an interesting experience. I came back to Mobile real quick. Basically sold everything I had, bought a car trailer, built it up with uh, particle board sides because I was too cheap to get a U-Haul, loaded it down, screwed a tarp to it, and we looked like Jed Clampett from Mobile to Utah. It was ridiculous. So got there, and this was a very, another very uh, dangerous portion of my life. I was told by people in my life at that point that I was not qualified to pastor a church. I was not qualified that's an interesting, that's the exact word. One person even told me, used the word worthy. So I wasn't worthy to pastor a church. And this is why, this is, the, you know, God's honest truth, exactly what I was told. I have, have all girls in my family. Even the dog's a girl. I'm, we've got a cat. It's a girl. Uh, I'm surrounded. I am still with all the females, the wonderful females that I'm surrounded with. I still don't understand any of you guys. I'm sorry. And uh, so... I don't even know why I said that. And <laughs> where was I at, man? I lost my train of thought again. Utah. Utah, boom. So we got to Utah. I don't know where the female thing came from. Sorry, ladies, you're awesome. We're just too dumb to understand a complex human being like yourself. <laughs> did I recover? The ladies are saying no. The men are like, yeah, you did a good job, which means I did not. <laughs> just anyway, so we're in Utah, and... Um, so I got there. Oh, and this is why I was saying that. I was told that I wasn't worthy because the women in my family wore pants. That's a true story. I'm not exaggerating. Now, understand that's stupid now. We laugh at it now, right? But when, you're, when your mind is trapped into a scenario that these things make you who you are, it's devastating. So I struggled and struggled and struggled. Should I take this church? I mean, good night. I mean, we're basically immoral beasts. I mean, they're wearing pants. Good night. What's next? The mob? You know, and so I was just struggling, struggling. So I took it. Against, to be honest with you, people say, well, did you have peace that passes all understanding? No, I was nervous the whole time. All right? I did not. But I knew that's what the Lord wanted me to do. We got in there. My mentality at that very point was, is I will go home in a coffin before I fail at pastoring this church. Now, that sounds really like, woohoo, man, that's hard. I wish everybody was like that. That is craziness. You know why? Because I'm not the one that makes a church succeed. That's God's business. All right? If a church, you know what, church, you know, people say churches close down. No, they don't because churches aren't buildings. Churches are people. The church is fluid. It'll move from one place to another place at times. Sometimes churches do need to close down and they need to go do something else. It's fine. You don't kill an organism like the church, especially when Jesus is the head of it. Anyways, get me all worked up. So, uh, so many flashbacks when people yell that at me. (laughs) So I got there and I worked my guts out. I worked my guts out to make sure that church succeeded. And you know what the dangerous thing is? It did. It did well. Now, I used to tell people we had the biggest church in south central Utah, and we did of like 80 people because of South Central Utah. There's only like four people and 27 elk. I mean, that's what it is. But I was proud of that. You know what I mean? I was so proud when guys would come to church and they wore a tie. It's ridiculous, but I was proud of that because I was like, oh, they're, they're, I'm, I'm leading, they're repro- I'm reproducing myself and these people. That was a good night. They definitely did not want that. But that's what you were taught. You were taught you reproduce who you are in your people. I mean, the leadership would refer to, like, you folks as a church, as my, like, if I was a pastor in that days, I'd say you're my people. Like, I owned them or something. It was ridiculousness. See, all this stuff is well-intentioned, but it's dangerous. The whole time I'm doing all this stuff for one reason, I want to be qualified. I want God to look at me and say, good job. 
I want to be able to look at myself and say, good job. Well, things went well. Ben and I had started, uh, we came out of legalism, and I'm not going to get all into that because he did, but the Lord began to show me one day while I was out working, and uh, I had made a comment to my, and I'm going to tell you what the comment is. Hopefully it's not offensive, okay? I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just telling you what happened in my life. I was eating dinner with a friend of mine, or lunch, excuse me, and I told him this. This is the exact phrase. I said, I am going to make, it was New Hope Baptist Church, I said, I am going to make New Hope Baptist Church an independent, fundamentalist, Bible or Baptist, Bible-preaching, King James-only church if it kills me. And in my mind, that's what I was going to do. Well, God had different plans, obviously. This isn't a Baptist church, is it? But uh, so I, uh, I went on, and uh, the Lord began to open my eyes to just how legalistic I was being. I mean, it was revolutionary. Unfortunately, as a result of it, all the churches that I was affiliated with stopped talking to me. I was voted out of one church as a heretic as a result of it, publicly. Um, people were putting, just calling me, all my friends, except with the exception of Ben at the time and Dan. Whilst I, man, I didn't know Dan. I just got to know you a little bit at that time. Uh, they just completely hit the brakes. People that I had you know, thought were my close companions just not, didn't come to me and say, explain to me what's going on. It was it. Just got cut off. I wasn't Baptist enough for them anymore. I'm sorry. That's just the way that it was. Again, I'm not trying to be offensive. There are plenty of people that identify with Baptist churches that love Christ, understand the grace of God, and aren't legalists. All right? So just understand that. Maybe you want to scratch that part from the podcast. Who knows? Well, at that, I remember being out cleaning at the parking lot. And I'm trying to hurry. I'm sorry. I took way too much time. I'm trying to bust through. I was cleaning at the parking lot at work one day, and the Lord spoke to me. He goes, you remember that phrase, I'm going to make this church this? And I said, yeah, I remember that. You know, all this stuff's happening in your mind at a split second. He goes, well, if you do try, it will kill you. That was a turning point for me because I realized at that moment just how much of everything I did was about me. You know what I mean? All the best intentions in the world was about me. Making the church succeed was about me. Why? Because I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel worthy. Well, things began to change. The church changed. Uh, I backed off in the church, and the church began to grow. I couldn't even believe it. Because I wasn't doing anything. I literally, I didn't go visit a person. I said, I'm not doing, I'm so tired. I'm not doing anything. And people just kept coming in. People that were Mormon were getting born again quick. It usually takes years for a Mormon to come out of Mormonism. And they were coming out of Mormonism in months. I couldn't believe it. Well, after that, Ben and I started talking about starting a church back down here. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? A church in Mobile, Alabama? Okay, I'll do it as long as it's not on Dawes Road. Dang it, now it's on Dawes Road too. (laughs) I mean, come back to Mobile where, I mean, you can literally spit and hit a church. And then on Dawes Road, Dawes Road, all the churches are moving to Dawes Road. Now, I'm not slamming us. You guys were the originals. Y'all were OG, all right? I get that. All right, but me and you both know there's 17 of them from here to Airport Boulevard, all right? There's no sense in a joke and even ignoring it. There just is. So we came back here, and when I came back here, things began to take a sharp downward spiral for me emotionally and spiritually. Um, I got depressed. Now I understand that I was actually depressed uh, because what had happened happened was um, the Lord took away from me everything that I got validation from. It was probably the best thing he could have done. It was the best thing he could have done for me. What I was doing could not be sustained for the rest of my life. I mean, it, it... have you seen these pastors and these big leaders that everybody thinks are, you know, just awesome? And it's like they just, it's like a fiery burning wreck when it hits the ground. That's what the Lord, I feel like, was trying to stop from happening in my life. Um, well, we got back here. I was super depressed, super depressed. I was angry. See, let me, in all seriousness, let me help some wives here this morning real quick, okay? And I'm not trying to be condescending when I say this, I promise. Men, when they get depressed, they don't watch the notebook and eat, you know, ice cream, all right? Which, by the way, I hate the notebook. But, sorry, I said I was going to be serious, but I still hate the notebook. And uh, when men get depressed, they usually get angry. They don't go hold up in a hole somewhere and cry. They get angry. And it doesn't make sense. They don't even know why they're angry. So everybody's coming to him and stop being mad, stop being mad. And I, remember, I was so angry. I talked to Ben about this a number of different times. I was so frustrated at how angry I was because everything that validated me was gone. 
I literally in my mind would thought to myself, I would rather be dead than feel this way. You see, because when God, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it refers to Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. You see, when the cornerstone in your life is off, everything's off. Uh, if you've remodeled a house before, you know real quick, you could, this wall, even this wall right here, it looks nice and square, doesn't it? It ain't. All right? The house and your, your walls in your house, and Nick, you've got a brand new house built. Trust me, I've seen what some framers do. Your walls aren't straight, all right? They're, they're crooked. They're out. But see, because if one spot's off, it's all off. I remember laying shingles on my house one time, and uh, I got it wrong. Let's just say that it was a very neat design by the time I got to the end, all right? <laughs> When the, when the corner's off, everything's off. And what Jesus had to do in my life was come along and kick away the things that I found validation in. So I got back to Mobile. The church, uh, GLF was doing great, I think. Now, if you're from GLF, this is the part where you say amen. amen. All right, good night, you guys. <laughs> I know exactly. So things were going well. Now, as my anger at myself, because I didn't have any validation around me, progressed, things continued to go, just for the lack of a better word, started going south. Um, I didn't even realize how south it was going. I had no clue. I mean, I knew that I wasn't doing well, but I didn't know people around me weren't doing well. Um, so the things I'm about, let me preface this, things I'm about to say, I do not want pity. All right? I don't want it. Pity is for puppy dogs and kitty cats, you know? Not people. Mostly cats, thank you. After, you know, what, two and a half years, two years or so, unfortunately, I went through a divorce. It wasn't on my radar. Um, You know, I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of that. I know that it wasn't something I could stop. It's something I tried to stop, but I could not stop it. Now, I'm not saying God caused my divorce. He did not. Divorces are caused by one thing, and that's sin. It is. That doesn't mean that a person that's been through a divorce is bad. I is one. You know what I mean? It's not. It's just the, it is the result of living in a broken world sometimes, and sometimes you just can't stop it. No matter how much you want to, how much you try, how many tears roll down your face, how much you beg, how much you say that you're willing to make any adjustment in the world, it just is not going to stop. All right? It happens. Fortunately, I now know... Only a year out from this, I now know that God used that event in my life to, to, he didn't, like I said, he didn't make it happen, but he used that event in my life to take away the final thing that I found validation in. When I grew up, my parents got divorced when I was 10 years old. My parents are good people. Um, I love them to death. I always said for my time I was about, uh, right after I got saved, I said, if I ever get married, I'll never get divorced. I said it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So much so that I was super self-righteous about it. You know what I mean? Super self-righteous about it. Because I thought I had made the stand that I'm not going to be that guy that's divorced. Well, when it happened, I can't even begin to tell you the crushing amount of failure that I felt in my life. You know why? Because I was still seeking to be qualified, wasn't I? And everybody knows that it's tough to go through a divorce, but if somebody that's a pastor goes through a divorce, well, that's different then. Because then, whether we want to believe it or not, the thoughts in people's minds are like, well, he was a hypocrite. Well, who knows what was going on in his house? Well, I can't, and I know not everybody thinks that, but see, this is the stuff the enemy's putting in your mind just beating you further down into you're not qualified. Can I tell you that I had two fears in my life, and they're gone now. The number one fear was is that in some way I would mess up morally and have to resign as a pastor, have an affair, steal the money, kick somebody's cat, you know, something like that. I was. I was terrified of it. I was scared to death because I didn't want to fail. The other one was is I'd get a divorce, and I'd have to leave the ministry. I'm not happy that I'm divorced, but I'm glad for what God's taught me through the fact that I am. See, what the Lord taught me was is this, is you're not qualified based on your standards. 
My standards for being qualified were don't have an affair and don't get divorced and do good at leading the church. God says those aren't my standards for qualification. God's standards for qualification are this, giving thanks to the Father for he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. That's God's standard of qualification, not mine. It don't matter how many spiritual gifts you have. It doesn't make you qualified. It doesn't matter how faithful you've been in some class that you've taught for 900 years. It doesn't make you qualified. It doesn't matter if your grandma baptized you in the Jordan River and John the Baptist apparitioned to the side <laughs> and said, I approve of this baptism. And that you have a signed copy of a letter from Ronald Reagan that says it also applies as valid. It doesn't qualify you. You know, the funny thing is, is we look for a lot of things to qualify us, don't we? The reason why I kind of wanted to go go at this from that angle is for this reason. In a room this size with as many people that's in it, and I am so sorry, I'm like crazy over. In a room this size, there are some of you who are struggling with your qualification. There's something in your mind right now that happened or is happening or you're afraid that's going to happen. And you're going to say to yourself, I literally was told in Bible college that if certain things happened, God would put me on the shelf like an old dirty rag doll. And he'd be done with me. Scared me to death. Some of you believe that about yourself right now. You think God's a million miles away from you because you've been divorced. You're going through a divorce. You have an addiction. You had an addiction. You did this to that person or this person did that to you or you failed in some way. Or you're thinking about failing in some way. Let me just say that. In your mind, day in and day out, for weeks, months, if not years now, Satan has been pummeling your mind with going in a direction that you know is going to harm you, and you're considering it now. And you, you have already told yourself, I'm a failure. Why even resist? Why even find help at this point? And you struggle with your qualification even in the midst of a temptation. None of those things define you as a believer. Jesus defines you as a believer. Your life is not your life. When you came to Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not, Jesus killed you graveyard dead on the cross. You were dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what, his Bible, that's what the Bible says. And you are not who you were, regardless of how you feel or the choices that you've made. Do they have consequences? Certainly they do. I live with consequences from choices I've made every day in my life. You do too. There's also good consequences, aren't there? If you're struggling this morning as a believer, understand this. Whatever it is that you think you need to do to get qualified is going to fail you miserably. And more than likely, it won't be immediate. It will take years sometimes before it fails you. If you're here and you're not a believer, you may be going to church, memorizing Bible verses. You may be trying to be good. You might be trying to cross all your T's, dot all your I's just right. You may have said a hundred prayers or whatever the case may be. But if you have never come to Jesus and simply trusted that his work is good enough, you're going to continue to try to qualify yourself for heaven. Uh, heaven is a place that has been prepared for people that God qualifies through faith in Jesus. If you've not been born again, we want to encourage you to do that. Okay? Can we pray? All right. Lord, thanks for loving us, and thank you for the quality, the qualification, excuse me, Lord, that you give us as a result of a perfect, sinless, crucified, buried, risen Savior. We thank you for the worthiness that we have been given by the grace of God because of the spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I don't want to sound self-righteous this morning as, I, as we end, but man, there's so many times I still struggle with my worthiness. It still comes back to mind. The, the dirty ghosts of my memory rise up and the enemy uses them to try to tell me how qualified I'm not. So I'm thankful that you literally put it, spelled it out word for word in, your, in, your, in the Bible so I can go back and look at it and understand that I'm qualified because of what you have done for me and my Father. I pray that if there's those among us, and there are those among us, Lord, that are struggling, I know it. it it's, it's just a fact of life that in this moment the Holy Spirit of God would reveal to us those things that we find value in and validation in 
And not necessarily take them away, Lord. That's not always the answer. The answer is a redirection looking to you. I pray that you make that redirection very real in our hearts and our minds. Not because we're so bad, but because you're so good. And so we're thankful for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> real quick, I'm not going to, there's so many things I want to say because there's so many things that you said, but I'm not going to preach another sermon up here. But I will say this, that, that uh, knowing that we were going to be gone for two weeks, it was a little difficult for me to give up the pulpit for a Sunday, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit had something to say through Buddy, and I really feel like it, it, it was needed in here today. And so I just really appreciate that, Buddy. It was awesome, and, and it encouraged me tremendously as well. So we just really appreciate it. So, all right, I just, uh, if you guys will pray for us as we're on our trip, um, and uh, there's something else I was going to say. Wednesday nights, come Wednesday nights. We have some of the best conversations here on Wednesday nights. The stuff that we talk about on Sundays, we really unfold a lot back there in that corner in in conversations. It's really good, so I want to encourage you to come, especially this Wednesday because there's food. So, yeah. All right. Buddy already prayed. I don't need to pray again, so you guys are dismissed.